0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode number 154 of the Necessary Roughness podcast, presented by Last Word on Sports. As always, I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic. I hope you all are having a tremendous week, gearing up for the holiday season, Hanukkah, Christmas, Kwanzaa, whatever you may be celebrating. Wish you all the best from myself and everyone here at Last Word on Sports. Um, Hope you're all excited for the tail end of the NFL regular season, which is what brings us here today and we're not going to mess around we're not going to waste any time we know we've got games coming up saturday afternoon saturday evening sunday afternoon and evening we're into the fun part where it's you know as soon as we hit the weekend it's football time and uh we're gonna get started right away we're gonna jump right in to my standout seven one to three we're going bigger story as per usual bigger story the detroit lions finding a way to stay alive in the playoff picture, stay alive in contention for their division by taking down the Vikings, or the LA Chargers taking down a Dolphin team that, to many, has looked like one of the best teams in the league at some points here, not even just in the AFC. So, let's get started with Detroit. And I mentioned this last week, I think. If not, let me throw it in here now. The Detroit Lions, I picked Minnesota, obviously. I mean, it was Minnesota. They're the best team in that division, I would say. But I was taken aback at the fact that Las Vegas, who employs many more people than we do on this show, as I said, it's predominantly a one-man band here, but they were heavy on Detroit fairly early. They had them favored to win this game outright, and that surprised me a little bit, to be quite honest. Well, evidently, there's a reason why... The house always wins, and there's a reason why Vegas is uh Well, let's just say they won't be closing down any sports books anytime soon. Detroit put on a, a pretty darn good showing. I mean, the defense didn't do tremendous. They give up twenty-three in this one, but Kirk Cousins goes for four twenty-five. Yes, you heard that right. Four hundred and twenty-five yards and a loss for Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins, who. Honestly, probably should be an MVP candidate. I mean, I'm not saying he'd get my vote, but you can make the argument. Uh, Dalvin Cook fumbles in this one, which was a big one. Turnover on downs early in the game for Minnesota, and then I believe also one later in the game. What it came down to was Detroit's offense was pretty darn good, you know. 27-39, 3-30, 27 to 39, three touchdowns for Jared Goff. The running game wasn't great, but they stayed relatively committed to it, right? I mean, you take a look. They end this game with about a buck 30, buck 34 rushing. 16 carries for 37 yards for Jamal Williams. Six carries for 21 yards for DeAndre Swift. It wasn't there, but they stayed dedicated to it. On the other side, 15 carries for 23 yards for Dalvin Cook. Alexander Madison couldn't get anything going either. Massive game for Justin Jefferson, but the Detroit defense made just enough plays to keep them in this one and to make sure they brought home a victory. And now they're knocking at the door in this NFC wildcard picture, one which we'll get into later in the show. We'll do a little bit of a checkpoint here as we push into the home stretch, but we'll get there when we get there. we got to pace ourselves. Great game out of DJ Chark. Amon Ross St. Brown always contributes, right? And Jamison Williams with one catch, but it was a big one. It was a touchdown. It was nice to see him back on the football field. You know, there were some murmurings when the Lions took him that, oh, he's gonna miss so much time. Coulda waited, coulda waited. I heard a lot of scouting reports coming into this draft that he was the de facto number one wideout. It's just he slipped because obviously he was recovering from an injury. Intriguing to see how he develops for Detroit. Huge win for Detroit, arguably the biggest win they've had. Certainly in the post-Stafford era, you can make the argument for quite a few years, even in the tail end of the Stafford era. Let's get into the LA Superchargers taking care of business at home. I mention this when we look at certain games in the pick portion. Oh man, this one looked great at the beginning of the year, and it did, and here we were you know, 17-7 Chargers at the end of the second quarter after a scoreless first, and I'm thinking, wow, this is the Chargers team that we thought we were getting this season. Herbert goes 39-51, just, just you know, 367, yeah, and a touchdown. Mike Williams, big game. Keenan Allen back out there, 12 catches. This is the Charger team that I thought would have a shot at dethroning the Kansas City Chiefs in their division the AFC West. In fact, I think I picked them to dethrone them. A pick I was relatively confident in to be completely honest. Then you have, you know, the early Charger Chief game, you have Herbert get the rib injury, you have Keenan Allen miss time, you have Mike Williams miss time. It just wasn't tremendous. Things didn't come together, but here they are sitting at 7 and 6 in the playoff hunt, still could be a pretty scary team. Let's talk Miami for a second here. Um Tua was three for fifteen at halftime. He he ends the the second half, he goes seven for thirteen. He goes ten for twenty-eight for a buck forty five. I don't know what happened. I don't know if it's somehow like the pressure related to being a, a almost an overdog, if you will, which is kind of a weird term by me. But there were all these articles, and I've mentioned them, all these articles and videos about how Mike McDaniel has done so much to help Tua, and he has. He's developed tremendously, I think. Um, but those started popping up, and all of a sudden, Tuatunga-Vailoa is not so much the Tuatunga-Vailoa he had been the weeks prior. I mean, when he was on the field for Miami this year, at a certain point, they looked unbeatable. You know? Jalen Waddle, two catches for 31 yards. Tyreek Hill, four catches, 81. He had a touchdown. Yeah, big deal. But... They should have been able to make this more of a firefight than they did. And that's kind of concerning. On the flip side, you can say, well, Miami's defense did the job. They held L.A. to 23, which is not that bad, considering L.A. was pushing near full strength here. And they didn't give up too, too much on the ground. They gave about 80 rushing yards on about 23 carries. But either way, who's this win bigger for? In the short term, it is the Chargers, right? Slipping to six and seven really would have hurt their long-term, short-term, long-term here. In the short-term, as in for this season, it's the Chargers. Their long-term aspirations of, you know, developing into a Super Bowl contender would have tanked this season if they had lost this game. But in the big picture, a lot of people are now making the argument that Jared Goff has found his footing in Detroit, that Detroit doesn't have to draft a QB. They have their guy which is an interesting take, if I'm being completely honest. That take manifests thoroughly because of the uh, victory over the Minnesota Vikings on top of almost beating Buffalo. I think in terms of, you know, people like to use the word culture and things like that, and we're talking about Dan Campbell. Um, Dan, that is, sorry. Dan Campbell. I think it might be Detroit. We won't know until next year, maybe the year after. But short-term, I'll give it to L.A. Long-term, I'm thinking Detroit might have figured something out finally. Number two in standout seven, you know we couldn't go all positivity. Bigger loss, the Seattle Seahawks, which won, or the Tampa Bay Buccaneers getting crunched in Santa Clara. Now, to be fair, we always talk about this, We're writing this the notes for each episode as the games are going on, eh? So this was written after the Seahawks found a way to lose to Sam Darnold. Um, And by found a way to lose, I mean Geno Smith looked like Geno Smith for a little bit out there with two interceptions. And the running game was relatively non-existent. Then they went out and lost to San Francisco, which kind of puts it in an even weirder light. I I didn't want to compare both teams losing to San Francisco because, I mean, Seattle loses at home, obviously, and they were viewed in a higher regard than Tampa, so it would be, oh, of course it was Seattle's loss that was a bigger loss, Um, and and you can make that argument to be quite fair, but I still just wanted to talk about Seattle losing a game that most people thought they should win against Carolina, and Tampa Bay looking lifeless out there. So uh, that's enough on Seattle, I guess. Let's talk to the Tampa side of it. I mean, Brady throws the ball 55 times in this game, 253, two interceptions, one a tip-up to himself from a linebacker, I believe, and another was just a blatant overthrow over the middle. Um, He doesn't look great. We've had this discussion before with Tom Brady. I mean, I said this, we've been around long enough that I can look back through the archive if we want to. I was saying this towards the tail end in New England. He didn't look like the same guy. He looked like the age was finally catching up to him. And if I remember correctly, I picked Tennessee to beat them in that playoff game because of that, and, well, it wound up happening. If Tampa Bay can hold on for their division, which I think they can, I'm not certain about, to be honest, at this point, they may wind up in a similar position. They may wind up the four facing the five, where they're going to have to go out there and face the Dallas Cowboys and get smacked around a little bit. You know, one year you're the hammer, Taken on the Eagles at home, next year you might be the nail. The bigger loss would have to be Seattle. Obviously, they have two losses, so no doubt. Losing two is worse than losing one. But realistically, Tampa Bay's in a much easier division. I'll give it to Seattle, but it's... it's As a guy who's not a Tom Brady fan, it feels weird to say, it's it's never great to see a legend of the game going out like this. Not like Tom's playing awful, right? It's not like end-of-career Peyton Manning the last year, even though I love to make the comparison. Peyton couldn't get the ball there. I think Tom can get the ball there, but just something's not clicking. Is it the missing Bruce Arians? Is it, I don't know, is it the the off-the-field? I'm not going to try and pry into that and think about what's going on in his personal life, though. Very clearly, there is a lot going on there which would reasonably distract anybody, right? That we know of. That's only that we know of. Keep that in mind. Either way, we'll keep it between the lines, and we'll say Seattle Seahawks definitely suffered the bigger loss. Uh, Let's end the top three on some positivity, eh? Bigger W. The Jacksonville Jaguars finding a way to take down the team that's running their division in Tennessee, and it was in their house. Or the Houston Texans almost finding a way to beat the Cowboys. Now, you might say, Nick, hold on. Before you type your comment, if where you're listening has a comment section, or your social media reply, on all social media, at Nick Donatic, N-I-K-D-O-N-A-D-I-C, you say, hey, Nick, this is a clown question, dude. You're going to go Bryce Harper on me. Full clown question, bro. One team won, the other team didn't. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. The Houston Texans were playing a better football team, in my opinion, and they are also right now a fair amount worse than the Jacksonville Jaguars. I would say they have less skill position talent. They have a worse defense. I would say, and look, we talked about Lovey Smith. I don't think Lovey's a bad coach. I think the Jaguars are being coached better than the Houston Texans. I think we've seen the progression we wanted to see in a handful of weeks here from Trevor Lawrence. And this is his, you know, De facto rookie season. He was thrown into chaos immediately. 368 on the road, three touchdowns against a team winning your division? Excuse me? Pull within two games? Granted, two games with four to go, it's going to be hard, but this is a successful season for the Jaguars. This is it, right? Travis Etienne has had a pretty darn good year. Wasn't that great this past weekend, but that's life. Evan Ingram had a great game. Will he be back next year? I wouldn't bet on it, but you never know, right? Zay Jones has been pretty good here and there. Christian Kirk, pretty good here and there. Players on their defense making plays here and there. Not enough to be a Super Bowl contender, mind you. I'm not making that argument, that they're one piece away from being the big dog in this division. But you look at the fact, watching this game on Sunday, I believe Derrick Henry had about 90 yards in the first quarter. He ends the game with 121. Huge. Huge. And it's one of those things where it comes down to the Titans, once again, the problem we've had over the years where it's, all right, well, if you get down two scores and you got to start throwing the ball, can you really make the comeback? We've seen sometimes they can do it. This week they they couldn't get it done. You know, they just didn't have enough to get the job done. Uh, against Jacksonville, which was, which is big, because it's going to matter in terms of seeding. But when you really look at the fact, Buffalo's ahead of them, Chiefs are ahead of them, Baltimore and the Bengals are ahead of them. They were going to be locked in the four seed in all likelihood anyway. It's not the worst thing, but in terms of morale, it, it's a little bit of a kick in the pants. Um, as for Houston, like I was saying, obviously they're sitting at 111-1. This team is awful may they have stumbled onto something. Might they have stumbled onto something. Damian Pierce, I believe, is a pretty darn good lead back. He's going to be their starting running back. When I say that, I mean working in somebody like Jeff Driscoll, who goes four for six, 38 yards, and a touchdown, and runs the ball seven times for 36 yards. Dallas wasn't expecting it. No one in the league was. Now, Jeff Driscoll is not Taysom Hill, where you can split him out at tight end, or at least we haven't seen that skill set yet out of Jeff Driscoll. But the idea of factoring that into their offense because they just don't have the explosiveness at the receiver position or in their passing game. And look, don't let me knock Chris Moore. He had 10 catches for a buck 24 in this one. Philip Dorsett has had some bright spots. Brandon Cooks, we know he's talented. But this team's not good enough to compete on a normal Sunday with Dallas. And here they were leading for the bulk of the fourth quarter. Kind of interesting. Um, the bigger W's got to be Jacksonville. It's, it's a huge one, like we talked about with Detroit. It is a momentum builder, even if you're going to have technically a failed season. Um, Houston, it was intriguing to me. An intriguing game. Perhaps a sign of what's to come. I wouldn't go that far. Number four in the standout seven. Let's keep it in the American Football Conference, the AFC. We're going to go standings, and we're going to go a little bit of a power ranking. You know, we'll go AFC playoff picture here courtesy of nfl.com why not go straight to the source right so in the afc we have no playoff berths clinched currently as we sit the evening of december the 16th we have the buffalo bills as the 1 seed the kansas city chiefs as the 2 seed bills winning the east chiefs winning the west the ravens via tiebreaker winning the AFC North at the three seed, and Tennessee, as we talked about, in at the four. The Bengals would be the five at nine and four. The Dolphins would be the six at eight and five. The Patriots would be the seven at seven and six. Then we have, on the bubble, Tide, Chargers seven and six, Jets seven and six. On the outside, looking in, very unlikely to make it. Jaguars, Raiders, Browns, Steelers, all at five and eight. Colts, 4-8-1. and one. So, where do we stand? In terms of a power ranking, and this is the reason I wanted to go both ways with this, you look at Buffalo, and they still could be considered the team to beat in the AFC. I'd have no beef with that, right? The loss of Von Miller, I think, is a significant one. It's one that can't be ignored because of the pedigree he brings and the leadership you tend to think he'd bring as a former Super Bowl MVP, a two-time Super Bowl champion, a reigning champion, technically speaking, though he's not on the team anymore. Kansas City has that same championship pedigree in their coach, in their quarterback, in their starting tight end, in a lot of these guys that are still on their squad, right? Baltimore, I don't think anyone would put at the three right now because Lamar Jackson's injured, and we don't know if he's going to be healthy for a playoff push. Tennessee, as we sit right now, in this little 7-pack is probably the 6th team, right? I would say Bills and Chiefs, 1A, 1B, right? You can make the argument the Bengals should be above Kansas City because they've beaten them, but I wouldn't put them above Buffalo. So if you want to go 1 is Buffalo, the Bengals are 2A, the Chiefs are 2B. Fair enough. I wouldn't argue that. You want to go Chiefs at 3? Okay. Keep it rolling. Miami would be my four. I'd have Baltimore at 5, Tennessee at 6, New England at 7. You can make the argument for Tennessee above Baltimore, but that's where we sit right now. Um, Obviously, Buffalo's two games up on Miami, and they play them this weekend. We'll talk about that in the pick'em portion. We picked the Saturday games just in case, but here we are, recording the show right on time, as we expected. So you can ignore those picks last week. Maybe we'll change them, maybe we won't. Ignore them. We'll pick the games again today in the pick'em portion coming up in a little bit here. Well, more than a little bit, probably about twenty minutes, half hour out. Um, either way, if they win that game, obviously they'd go to eleven and three. The Dolphins would go to eight and six. It would be an all but wrapped up AFC East division. The Chiefs have not clinched. They are ten and three. Chargers at seven and six it's all but wrapped up. It would be an impressive collapse. Uh, The ones to keep your eye on, I guess technically you could say the AFC South, but I think Tennessee would have to collapse significantly. It'd have to be an injury, in my opinion. It would have to be an injury either to Ryan Tannehill and or Derrick Henry for them to not win this division, which obviously you don't wish injury on anybody, but it's just the truth, right? The other thing, obviously, the one I'm talking about is Baltimore- and Cincinnati, right? So much of that comes down to the health of Lamar Jackson. We take a look at the games upcoming for Baltimore and Cincinnati, and it starts to get a little spicy. Baltimore will play Saturday afternoon, for 30 p.m., in Cleveland. Okay, Deshaun Watson, you want to make a statement to your new fan base? That's the game to do it. Then Baltimore on Christmas Eve will play host to the Atlanta Falcons, led by. Desmond Ritter, not Marcus Mariota, who is believed to be done for the season. Then, New Year's Day, the Steelers head to Baltimore to take on the Ravens. Will Trubisky be back? Excuse me, will Trubisky be under center, I should say? Will Kenny Pickett be back for that game? And then, oh, by the way, if we haven't wrapped this up by then, the Ravens in Week 18 will be heading to Cincinnati in what will almost certainly be the Sunday night football game to end the regular season if the division is still on the table. Cincinnati, on the other hand, they are facing Tom Brady in Tampa Bay Sunday, 425. Then, keeping the theme, they head to Foxborough on Christmas Eve. They will be playing January the 2nd against the Buffalo Bills. And then they end against Baltimore. I mean, that's pretty clearly the harder of the two schedules, right? Say what you will about um, the current talent level of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, or the performance, I should say, of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They're still a decent team for my money, right? You have New England, who's right now a playoff team. You have Buffalo, who might be the best team in the AFC, let alone the league, and then a potential tie-breaking situation. Kind of interesting kind of interesting, obviously. Now, you know, if we're talking drama, right, clearly you'd want more of these up for grabs, right? If you're writing the script, as people tend to say, right, assuming that it's a scripted sport and just nobody ever leaks the script, uh, I guess except for Vegas when they set the odds, you'd want Miami to beat Buffalo this Saturday and keep the AFC somewhat up for grabs, The real drama is going to come down to these wildcard teams, and as we get towards the playoff uh, situation being more set, we'll look at those schedules, because I just don't really want to put you guys through going through the entire Miami thing, going through all of New England, the Chargers, the Jets, and maybe even the Jaguars for giggles. But right now, that's where I'm thinking in the AFC. Let me know what you guys think. As usual, open to a conversation, a little bit of dialogue. Feel free to reach out. Let's move into number five in the standout seven. Let's look at the National Football Conference. Let's look at the NFC, which is currently home to the team with the best record. Two teams have clinched a playoff spot in the NFC. The 12-1 Philadelphia Eagles, who are on the brink of clinching their division. Not really on the brink, but they're getting close. Um, And also the San Francisco 49ers. Who are the three seed right now, but they have clinched a playoff spot by way of, you know, the way things have broken down. So the two seed right now is Minnesota. Still have not clinched. The three seed, as we said, is San Francisco. The four is the team leading the AFC South, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. On their heels, the Carolina Panthers and the Falcons, both at five and eight. Tampa's six and seven. I mean, it'd be really embarrassing for Tampa to to miss the playoffs, but you know if they make the playoffs with a losing record, crazier things have happened, right? We saw Washington make the playoffs with a losing record and face the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and give them every ounce of their heart in that game and almost pull off the upset. So we'll see what'll happen. Uh, right now, the top dog in the wild card picture and pretty much guaranteed to be the top dog in the wild card picture, the Dallas Cowboys at ten and three. The Commanders are seven, five, and one. They're the six. The Giants also seven, five, and one. They will be facing them this week. They are the seven. The Seahawks, two losses in the last five days, are seven and seven at eight. The Lions are six and seven. The Packers join Carolina and Atlanta at five and eight. And, you know, technically they've got Arizona, the Saints, and the Rams on here at four and nine, but we don't gotta do that. Um as far as power rankings go, I'd think you'd be hard-pressed to find someone who would argue with me saying the best team in the NFC is the Philadelphia Eagles. I would make the argument right now they are the best team in football. Um, The second best team in the NFC, not just because they've clinched a spot, but just because of what they've got, should be San Francisco. The only question would be, what do you make of Brock Purdy thus far? And it's an intriguing question if we're being completely honest, but I mean, the kid's playing pretty darn well. Mr. Irrelevant to Mr. Undefeated, yeah. So, let's see if he can keep the momentum rolling. He'd be far from the first backup QB to lead a team on a playoff push. He'd be far from the first QB to lead a team to a Super Bowl, right? Here we are. I mean, once upon a time, San Francisco made the move from Alex Smith to Kaepernick, and, well, they went to the Super Bowl. Didn't work out the way they wanted it to, but they got there for the first time in a bit. So... Let's see if it leads there again. I can understand you being hesitant on them, but who would you put above them is the question, right? Would you go to, especially with the Debo Samuel injury also, which supposedly is not going to be a year-ender. We saw Jerry Rice, which is an interesting person to hear speak out, kind of frustrated that Debo Samuel goes down in this one. Obviously, this game winds up a blowout, San Francisco against Tampa Bay, but kind of frustrated. You know, he gets hurt going up the middle. He said it's a similar way to Trey Lance getting hurt. Um, perhaps indicating that, you know, Kyle Shanahan should probably chill out a little bit on runs up the middle, I guess, but it's working. They blew out Tampa Bay, a uh, team that's underperforming but still pretty talented. So sorry, Jerry. Sorry for Debo, to be quite honest, but I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. It it's, comes down to are you a real big believer in the Vikings? Would you jump them above San Francisco? I don't know that I would. Right now, I'd have them maybe three. You could really argue that Dallas should be three. You could argue Dallas should be two. I'd have Dallas at three, Minnesota at four, just by way of Dallas dismantling Minnesota when they faced off. Um, obviously, this is from the playoff picture set right now. So Philly, San Francisco, in my power ranking here. Then Dallas, Minnesota. And then it gets kind of spicy, because I don't think the Giants are going to make the postseason. I'm not confident Tampa Bay will make it, but no one in their division scares me. So right now, number five for me might be Washington. Number six might be Tampa, and then seven would be the Giants. I think right now, of the teams on the bubble, Detroit is the scariest team. I think Detroit is better than the Giants right now. I think Seattle is better than the Giants, or have been this season. They beat them head-to-head. Um... I won't even get into a team like Green Bay or Carolina or you know Carolina Atlanta is an interesting one to kick around considering they're chasing Tampa I don't think Sam Darnold and Carolina can beat Tom Brady when push comes to shove I think Atlanta intrigues me a lot but I think that would be almost too Cinderella We'll see when we get there so it's a top heavy conference it's not as deep as the AFC, I would say. I mean, right now you have the Chargers on the outside looking in in the AFC, and they're better than the Giants. They're better than, you know, they're better than Tampa Bay, hands down. They're probably better than the Commanders, and they're on the outside looking in. So it's really going to come down to can anyone beat Philly? Or is anyone going to knock off San Francisco and or Dallas on the way to trying to beat Philly? The AFC, it's a pure crapshoot. I mean, if you told me the Bills won the AFC at the beginning of the year, wouldn't shock me. If you told me that the Bengals did it, wouldn't shock me. If you told me that Lamar Jackson came back and made a run during his contract year, wouldn't shock me. You know, if you told me that Tua got it together in these last four games, starting with beating Buffalo and found their way into a Super Bowl and a little bit of a Cinderella, you know what? Why not? On the other side, not so much. Number six in the standout, seven. Let's take a look real quick. We had Kyler Murray go down this past week with a torn ACL. And, uh, you know, I just want to take a look real quick at where the Cardinals are, because we talked about earlier in the year the potential of them trying to bid for a Sean Payton or potentially being interested in making a move at the head coaching position. And I was kind of in support of it, if I'm being completely honest, but the injury to Kyler makes it even more odd, let's say. We also had the GM of the Cardinals taking a leave of absence due to health, obviously unrelated. We wish him nothing but the best, but that's, it, it's out there. I mean, you take a look at Kyler. He's signed the five-year 230 contract, right? So he's got one, two, three, four, five with a potential out in 2026, um, but there would be a year also in excuse me, 2028, but there's also a year left on that afterwards, right? I I, I don't really know. I don't really know what they do. I'm not suggesting there's some article saying they should trade Kyler for what? Trade him for what with a torn ACL? How's that going to work? What team is going to want to sell their fan base on that? Cleveland sold their fan base on a guy with off-the-field issues who didn't play for 12 games, and I'm not hearing resounding Support, right? Obviously, when you win, it'll go away. But what would you want to give up as a suitor for a quarterback who is almost guaranteed to not play the entire season? And if you're investing in him that kind of money, you don't want him to come back at the end of a season where you're likely going to be out of it anyway. I mean, what, a team like Houston? Is Houston going to throw it in the tank and then just, oh, give us Kyler? I don't think the Cardinals would be interested. I think the idea of it is is kind of bizarre, right? Let's take a look right now at StatMuse, by the way. Website I've been enjoying. High quality statistics uh, composition here, yeah? In the four years that Kyler Murray has been in the NFL, right? If you take a look, he was drafted, uh, which year here? His rookie year was the 1920 season, right? 2019-2020 NFL season. He has started 57 games, right? He's thrown for 13,848 yards, which would put him good for, let's see, three, six, nine, about 11th in the league. He's behind Matt Stafford, who started a couple less games. He's ahead of Dak Prescott, who started less games. You know, he's up there. He's coming in at 84 touchdowns, which is a little bit lower than the ones around him and significantly lower than some others. 41 interceptions on the higher end, but not as high as somebody like Matt Ryan, who's got 51, right? I don't know. Has Kyler Murray been a top 10 QB of the last four years? Is kind of the, the way I started looking at these statistics. Is to, Is Kyler Murray a top 10 quarterback right now? If, you know, fast forward to February... 15th, 20th, they say, you know what? Got this radical idea. We're going to do a fantasy draft. We're going to start the league over. Who are you taking in QB? All right, well, we're not taking him over Patrick Mahomes. We're not taking him over Josh Allen. We're not taking him over Dak Prescott. We're not taking him over Jalen Hurts. We're not taking him over Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrow depending on how you look at character things, a guy like Deshaun Watson, right? Then you get into ones that are a little bit more questionable. Would you take him over a 75-year-old Tom Brady? Would you take him over Derek Carr, who hasn't really proven he can get that win either? Would you take him over Kirk Cousins? How much do you trust him? Do you like everyone else nowadays and saying, you know what, Jared Goff might have figured it out? What do you think of Justin Herbert, right? You think Baker Mayfield's done? All right, now we're getting a little far. My point being, I don't know if any team has been in a situation like this. And maybe it's just, I'm missing it, right? If you're if you're screaming at the screen right now, feel free, like I said, comment section, social media, let me know what I'm not thinking of. Because you're looking at a team that was already considering a head coaching change. Then you have a front office stalwart, your general manager, have to take a leave of absence. You have your quarterback go down. So now if you're firing... Kingsbury, right? You're bringing in a head coach to do what? To lose. You're bringing in a head coach who's going to lose games because he does not have the star quarterback that he's paying. You have to pay the salary, guys. It doesn't get blacklisted off the salary cap because the player's injured. While that would be an intriguing thing to do, to my knowledge, that's not the way we're treating it, right? Would be an interesting thing to do. Maybe we can kick that around in an offseason episode. That could be kind of interesting then you wouldn't have Odell Beckham selling out this free agency for so long somebody would have just signed him and threw him on the IR maybe when you're I on when you're on IR his salary doesn't count or something I don't know either way you'd be bringing in a new head coach let's say Sean Payton who's the rumor you'd be bringing in Sean Payton to not have his QB for what at minimum 12 games at minimum? And Sean probably wouldn't want to do it because he'd know that he wouldn't want to rush his young QB back, especially one who has mobility as part of his skill set. So what, Sean's going to come in and tank his career record to go 5-13 and 13? in a division that doesn't look like it's getting any easier? Doesn't look like it. Will the Rams bounce back, right? San Francisco looks pretty great. Is Seattle going to be even better next year? I don't know. I've also heard the rumor that Perhaps Sean Payton would go back to New Orleans because it's not working out down there. I would agree it's not working out, but uh, I don't know if Sean would be interested in that. If you're Sean Payton, would you rather go back to New Orleans or coach a Cardinal team without Kyler Murray? We debated a few weeks ago if you'd rather go to L.A. or the Cardinals, and I, you know, was kind of leaning L.A. Well, now the the question is asked and answered, right? I mean, you're not going to have Kyler Murray. You wouldn't want to go to Arizona. So then you leave Kingsbury there to take another year of losses. And, I mean, it's not like the guy's going to quit the job, don't get me wrong, but you're kind of stuck in the mud. You can't make a move because what move is there to make? You get another quarterback? No. you going to finally fill out the skill position depth? I mean, Ertz was playing well. DeAndre Hopkins is a top-tier receiver. Hollywood Brown has shown that he's pretty good this year, I would say. I don't know what move they should make, if I'm being completely honest. And this is this is my job. I'm the guy that sits here and talks into the microphone and thinks, hmm, what if, what if this? What if that? What if the third? Well, I'm at a loss, guys. Maybe in a few weeks I'll have an answer for you, but I don't really know what the Cardinals should do. I don't know what the play is, so to speak. I don't know if there is even a play to be made. Rough spot to be in. For the Arizona Cardinals. Number 7 in the standout, 7. Let's keep it simple here. Let's go with the injury wrap-up. We've got our news and notes, rather. Mariota reportedly, as we said, being done for the year. Kind of interesting. Uh, T.Y. Hilton signs with the Dallas Cowboys. I kind of assumed he was retired. Could be a pretty good acquisition for the playoff push. Pretty talented guy. Um, Cole Beasley back in Buffalo. I thought he'd retired after everything with the -the off-the-field stuff, you know, involving mandates and yada, yada, yada. Um, Tyler Lockett broke his finger during the Thursday night football game. Report is he will try not to miss the season. He's going to have the surgery and try and be back at some point. Big piece for them. It'd be big for them if he could somehow stick around. But, I mean, it'd be kind of weird. I don't know. It's a quick turnaround for a wide receiver, especially it's a a digit. You know, you kind of need your hands to catch the ball. But uh, it'd be pretty impressive for a veteran on that team. I think that would be would uh, be pretty good for them. Uh, another one that I just wanted to get in here. We were going to do a whole thing on it, but I figured, eh, let's do the check-in stuff. Um, the NFL kicking around the idea of reviews for roughing the passer slash hits on defenseless players' penalties. And I love this idea. If I'm being completely honest with you, I love this idea. I love the idea of aping something that works from another sport or another league in your sport, and I would consider the NCAA to kind of be a league in their sport. Obviously, they're not competing. They're the minor leagues, but either way, I would say, because the the reason I'm saying that is because obviously if you watch a lot of college football, which I do not, there are, I believe, optional or mandatory reviews even for targeting calls, hits high to the helmet, and then there are ejections. Will we be seeing guys getting ejected for roughing the passer? Well, the concept of reviewing a roughing the passer penalty is intriguing to me, because are they going to review it for the ejection? Are they going to review it for potential intent? We've seen people shoved into lower extremities of quarterbacks, right? Blocked into it. They stumble into it. How much does the body weight thing come into it, right? When they say slam a QB down with your body weight. Well, you're falling to the ground, too. How are you going to fall to the ground or not? You know, either way. Um... Will we see that flag get picked up? Will it, you know, it's another intriguing thing to me that doesn't get factored in, and I, I watch a lot of baseball, in case that wasn't obvious, through 150 episodes, and I reference it in about 140 of them. Baseball is very much looking to speed up the game, right? That's been a, a big motive for them the past handful of years in the Rob Manfred era as commissioner. This would effectively slow down the game. You can't add reviews and not slow down the game, right? But the interesting thing is, I have not heard a football fan against it. Maybe maybe you're out there. Like I said, comment section, you know the deal. I have not heard a fan who is against the idea of them reviewing calls like this. Whereas in baseball, we've seen certain things. They bring in replay, they do this, that, and the third, and they go, oh, it's going to slow the game down. Oh, it's, it's against the spirit, yada, 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 yada. Football, not so much. Personally, I love this idea. I love the idea of stealing. I said before they should steal the overtime from college. We don't need the kickoff. Ball at the 30-yard line, 40-yard line. Change it. You're the NFL. Put the ball at your own 30. Go drive and score a touchdown, and we'll go back, 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 back. You know what I mean? Over and over. If you're going to do it like that, obviously, you wouldn't put the ball there. You'd be playing forever. But put the ball at the 40-yard line because kickers in the NFL can make it from about the 35 fairly consistently. And let's go do it. You know what I mean. I like the idea of the rule changes. I liked when they did uh, the two-point conversion can be returned. Right, that wasn't always a thing, as far as memory serves, at least. Uh, it makes perfect sense. Why not do it? Sure. Um, if it makes sense and it's not too much of a differentiation from the game, where you're completely changing it, what are we doing? Let's just do it. Put it on the rule book and let's get to business. That'll bring us to the end of the standout seven of this week's episode and take us into my favorite part, your favorite part, the pick'em portion of episode number 154. We're going to get started with a Saturday 1 o'clock game. The Indianapolis Colts head to Minnesota to take on the Vikings. We picked this game last week. We picked the Vikings. We have the injury report. We'll get to picking the Colts. going to be without wide receiver Mike Strachan. Strachan, my apologies, I'm sure I butchered that one, with a concussion, going to be without two DBs, Kenny Moore the second, with an ankle, and Brandon Faison with an illness. Questionable for the Vikings, offensive lineman Garrett Bradbury with a back injury, two linebackers, Daniil Hunter with a neck, and Patrick Jones with an illness, as well as D-lineman Harrison Phillips with a back injury, and corner Cam Dantzler, also listed, with an illness. Um, I'm going to take the Vikings. I've said it since the beginning of the year. The Colts are a good team, and they could beat a lot of teams, but they are just... This is not their year. It's not going well. And you know what? I don't think Jeff Saturday, even if he had 10 years coaching experience, could have come in and turned this one around for a playoff push. It's a big ask. I'm going to take the Colts to lose on the road. Next, we've got an AFC North matchup between the Ravens and the Browns from First Energy Stadium in Cleveland. This is the 4:30 kick. Ravens going to be without Lamar Jackson, still battling that knee injury. Questionable. Offensive lineman Morgan Moses with a knee. Kevin Zeitler with a knee and their punter, Jordan Stout, with a knee. Questionable for the Browns, just one wide receiver David Bell with a thumb and a toe injury. Um, The inclination is to believe that Tyler Huntley will start. I didn't hear if it was officially stated. But he cleared the concussion protocol, and he was the backup quarterback to Lamar, so I believe he will go, and not Anthony Brown, who finished off their game last week in Pittsburgh. If that's the case, it doesn't really change how I'm looking at this game, if I'm being honest with you. I think if they were full strength, I would pick Baltimore in a game that would be more entertaining than we suspect. That's my take on this game. However, without Lamar... I am suspicious that Cleveland is going to play spoiler in this division. I'm going to take the Cleveland Browns to find a way to beat the Baltimore Ravens. And now it's not just a skill gap at the quarterback position thing, though that is a relatively obvious advantage for the Browns. The Browns can run the ball pretty darn well too, and they can play defense. And we saw last year a weird matchup between a Lamar Jackson-led Ravens team who wound up getting injured in that game, and the Cleveland Browns. You know what? Give me Cleveland to pull off the upset. Maybe. They might be favored. Gets a backup QB. I'll call it an upset. Give me Cleveland at home. Next, the much anticipated 8 15 Saturday night game. The Miami Dolphins head to Buffalo to take on the Bills. Dolphins going to be without two DBs Eric Rowe with a hammy and Elijah Campbell with a concussion. Doubtful, wide receiver River Craycraft with a calf injury. Say that five times fast. Questionable, their backup QB Teddy Bridgewater with a knee. Running back Jeff Wilson with a hip. And offensive lineman Teron Armstead with a three-piece toe, pectoral, and knee injury. Bill's going to be without offensive lineman Ryan Bates with an ankle. And D-lineman Jordan Phillips with a shoulder injury. I'm going to take Buffalo. I'm going to take Buffalo in this one. Because I believe that Buffalo is going to try to get revenge for their game in Miami. Um, I've alluded to this before. I've said, you know, for a team that plays in cold weather, I wouldn't necessarily say that Buffalo is best suited to be, you know, the Buffalo Bills. If you flipped them to Miami, I think they'd put up even more points. But uh, I'm going to show some confidence that Buffalo is going to fall back on what they learned a few weeks ago and run the darn football and uh, they'll have enough because it's been weird for Miami. This is not what the doctor ordered. This is the opposite. Tua's been struggling a little bit. Oh, you're going to go play in the snow in the biggest game of the season against a team that's favored to not only win your division, not only win your conference, but possibly win the Super Bowl in terms of preseason odds. Uh, Yeah, go get them, kid. Well, I think they'll do their best here, but you know what? I'm going to go with Buffalo winning this one at home. That'll bring us to Football Sunday, and we'll get started with the best team in the NFC, the Philadelphia Eagles, heading to Chicago to take on the 3-10 Bears. Eagles going to be without safety Reed Blankenship with a knee injury. Bears going to be without their newly acquired, well, it's not newly if it's about a month ago, but still. Wide receiver Chase Claypool with a knee injury, as well as tight end Trevon Wesco with a calf. Doubtful offensive lineman Larry Borum with a knee and questionable Wide receiver Nikhil Harry, formerly of New England fame, with a back injury. And DB Kindle Wilder with an ankle. This is a 60-second pick like we used to do in the old days. There is nothing to break down here. Philly is significantly better than the Bears. Give me Philly to win this one on the road. Next, we got a battle between two teams that are on the fringes of the playoff picture. The Detroit Lions are heading to New Jersey to take on the Zach Wilson-led Jets, yes, you heard that. We'll get to the injuries for them in a sec. Let's start with Detroit. Missing this game for them, offensive lineman Coyote Awaseka with an ankle injury, as well as linebacker Derek Barnes with a knee. Doubtful, D-lineman Michael Brockers with an illness. Questionable, fullback Jason Cabinda with an ankle. Another offensive lineman, Frank Ragnow with a foot. Number one overall pick for them, the D-lineman Aiden Hutchison with an illness, as well as corner Mike Hughes with an illness. Now, on the Jets' side, I alluded to it a second ago. Mike White was not cleared by Team Doctors to play in this game. He's going to miss it due to a rib injury sustained last week. I raised the question, how did he come back in the game three times if he's this injured? I'm not saying he's he's faking it or he doesn't have the toughness or any of that BS stuff you might hear. I'm simply saying, why did they keep letting him back in the game if he's this hurt? Uh, But that's life, I guess. Uh, also missing this one, wide receiver Corey Davis with a concussion and corner. Brandon Eccles with a quad. Questionable, D-lineman for them who's having a great year. and Williams with a calf injury. I'm going to take Detroit in this game. Now, I'd say this. If there is a just what the doctor ordered for Zach Wilson to try and get the career back on track, to try and get some confidence from the boys in that locker room, it is the defense of the Detroit Lions. However, it is worth noting, you still got to go out there and get it done. I'm not certain he can. Also, you guys got to go stop Detroit, who is kind of hot as of late, right? So, give me the Detroit Lions bring it at home on the road. Next, we've got a, a little bit of a weird matchup here. Um, the Pittsburgh Steelers head to Carolina to take on the Panthers in the draft position bowl of the week. Um, Steelers, doubtful. Quarterback Kenny Pickett will go in this one, as well as linebacker Miles Jack with a groin injury. Panthers going to be without linebacker Brandon Smith with an ankle. Questionable, two wideouts, DJ Moore with an ankle and LaVisca Chenault with a shoulder, as well as safety Xavier Woods, also with an ankle injury. Um, I'm going to operate under the assumption this is going to be a Trubersky game, or a Mitch Berg game, as I had dubbed him. I don't think Mitchburg can beat the Panthers not to mention this Carolina team has more to play for than Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's on the fringes, you know, right? Carolina's one game out. And Tampa Bay is playing the Bengals. If Carolina wins this game they can smell the playoffs in a year where they cut their starting quarterback and fired their head coach. You want to talk about bizarre positions. We talked about Arizona ad nauseum. Carolina would be in bizarro world. This just doesn't happen, right? Give me Carolina to make things muddy and win it at home. Next, we've got another 60-second pick. We had the Eagles playing the Bears. We've got Kansas City heading to Houston to take on the Texans. Chiefs listing just two questionable wide receiver Kadarius Tony with a hammy and D lineman Chris Jones with an ankle. Excuse me, with an illness. Got ahead of myself. The Texans are going to be without running back Damian Pierce with an ankle, as well as wide receivers Nico Collins and Brandon Cooks with a foot and calf injury, respectively. Offensive lineman Kenyon Green with an ankle, D-lineman Taylor Stallworth with a calf, and two DBs, Steven Nelson with a foot, and Derek Stingley Jr. with a hamstring. Questionable offensive lineman Justin McCray also with a hammy, because, of course, what did Houston need when they were facing one of the best teams in the league but a mountain of injuries? Give me Kansas City. Give me Kansas City by double digits unless they get bored. Next, speaking of the wide-open NFC South, the Atlanta Falcons head down to Nolens to take on the Saints. Falcons going to be without offensive lineman Chuma Idoga with a knee and the aforementioned Marcus Mariota. The Saints going to be without linebacker Zach Bond with an ankle and corner P.J. Williams with a knee. Questionable, running back Dwayne Washington with an illness who, you know, more of a role with Mark Ingram being out. Uh, tight end Juwan Johnson with an ankle, who has flashed some talent, as well as tight end Adam Troutman with an ankle. D-lineman Peyton Turner with an ankle. Linebacker Pete Werner with an ankle. Wow, four in a row. Uh, corner Marshawn Lattimore with an abdominal injury. And safety JT Gray with a hammy slash back injury. I'm taking Atlanta because I want chaos in this division. I know they're both coming in relatively with the same record. I want to see what Desmond Ritter's got. Give me the kid on the road to find a way to get his team tied for first place. Our last 1 o'clock kick, because the schedule makers love the Dallas Cowboys. The Cowboys take on the Jaguars just one week after they took on the Texans. Wow, okay. Um, this game will be in Jacksonville. Cowboys going be without tight end Jake Ferguson with a concussion. Questionable, D.N. Dorrance Armstrong with an ankle. Jaguars, a lot of players are questionable. QB Trevor Lawrence off of one of his best performances of his career, if not his best. No? Uh, He had that game against Baltimore. It's up there. Toe injury, he's questionable. Offensive lineman Brandon Scherf with an abdominal. Chad Muma at linebacker with an ankle, as well as Trayvon Walker at linebacker with an ankle. Uh, And two in the defensive secondary, Darius Williams with an abdominal, and Andrew Wingard with a shoulder. I'm taking Dallas in this one. I don't think they get surprised back-to-back weeks. Give me the Cowboys on the road. Next, our first of two 405 kicks is a backup quarterback bowl, my favorite kind of game, as the perplexing Arizona Cardinals head to Denver to take on the Let's Ride Denver Broncos. Cardinals gonna be without DN Zach Allen with a hand injury and corner Byron Murphy with a back, as well as obviously Kyler Murray, as we discussed. Questionable wide receiver Marquise Brown with an illness. Offensive lineman Rashad Coward with a chest injury. And three DBs, Antonio Hamilton, Marco Wilson, and Charles Washington with a back, neck, and chest, respectively. Broncos going to be without Russell Wilson with a concussion in this one, as well as two wideouts, Cortland Sutton and Kendall Hinton, both with hamstring injuries. Questionable, tight end Andrew Beck with a hammy as well. Offensive lineman Dalton Reisner with a shoulder-slash-back. 2D linemen in Draymond Jones with a hip and DJ Jones with a shoulder and linebacker Dakota Allen also with a hammy. I'm actually going to take Arizona in this one. I've kind of seen a decent amount of Colt McCoy leading their offense at this point and he's played all right. Is he going to knock anyone's socks off? No, but considering that the Broncos offense wasn't great with Russell Wilson and they were in a position to try and win last week when he went down, didn't work out. Obviously, better competition, but I'm going to take Arizona to win this one on the road. Next, we've got a rematch of the tuck rule game, because we got to get one of these every once in a while. Our only other 405 0 kick, the Patriots head to Vegas to take on the McDaniels-led Raiders. Patriots going to be without wide receiver Devontae Parker with a concussion. Offensive lineman Isaiah Wynn with a foot injury, and corner Jalen Mills with a groin injury. Questionable, both running backs for the Patriots, Damian Harris with a thigh and Ramondre Stevenson with an ankle, as well as wide receiver Jacoby Myers, no, not the law firm, with a concussion. Offensive lineman Yadni Kahuste with a calf. Corner, Jack Jones with a knee and long snapper Joe Cardona with an ankle. Don't see a lot of long snapper injuries. Could be noteworthy. Uh, Raiders going to be without offensive lineman Alex Bards with a knee and corner Rocky Sin with a knee injury. Questionable, but I'm hearing likely to go Running back Josh Jacobs with a quad-slash-hand. Then, just questionable, haven't heard anything about these fellas, offensive lineman Jackson Barton with a back, and Jermaine Eluminor with an oblique injury, D-lineman Andrew Billings with a fibula, and linebacker Denzel Perriman with a hip injury. Considering the Patriots are kind of in position to make a little bit of a weird run, this is going to be a big one for McDaniels. I wonder if he can rile them up to beat down the big, bad Bill Belichick-led Patriots. Is there still that hatred there? I know Raider Nation feels it, from what I've heard. I don't know if the team feels it. Obviously, it's a different situation nowadays, but I'm going to take the Raiders to win this one at home. I'll probably regret it. I've regretted picking them quite a lot, quite a lot this year, but give me the Vegas Raiders. 425 kicks, the Tennessee Titans take on the Chargers from L.A., in L.A., rather. Uh, They're going to be without running back Dontrell Hilliard, wide receivers Traylon Burks and C.J. Board, D-lineman Danico Autry, three DBs, Trey Avery, Christian Fulton, and Amani Hooker. Chargers, listing Derwin James as doubtful for this one, questionable O-lineman Trey Pipkins, D-lineman Sebastian Joseph Day, and corner Bryce Callahan. This is an interesting game, Considering the Titans are going to have to bounce back, you can make the argument the Chargers definitely need this one more. I'm going to take the Chargers to get on a little bit of a roll here and win this one at home. They've got the firepower. If they can get back healthy and keep clicking, this Charger team was a title contender in my book. Let's see if we get that starting now. And then the game we mentioned before, our last 425 kick, the Cincinnati Bengals head to Tampa Bay to take on Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. Bengals going to be without tight end Hayden Hurst, big one pass rusher Trey Hendrickson, and corner Mike Hilton, doubtful corner Jalen Davis, questionable three wide receivers, Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, and Trent Taylor. Buccaneers, not exactly healthy on the other side either. They're going to be without Vita Vea on their D-line, Gennard Avery at the linebacker position, as well as Carl Nassib, and corner Jamel Dean. Questionable wide receiver Julio Jones, offensive lineman Tristan Wirfs, Linebacker Joe Tryon Shoyinka, as well as DB's Sean Murphy Bunting, Mike Edwards, and Antoine Winfield Jr. The injury report really makes me want to think that Tom Brady could find a way in this game, and it really wouldn't shock me, it wouldn't shock you listening, it wouldn't shock Tom Brady, it wouldn't shock the Bengals, but I can't do it. Give me Cincinnati. They're the better team. They're fighting for their playoff life, just like Tampa, but they're a little better than Tampa. They're a lot better than Tampa in terms of performance on the field. Give me Cincinnati to win this one on the road. Then we've got the game of the week, Sunday night football. The New York Giants head to D.C. to take on the Washington Commanders. Giants going to be without offensive lineman Josh Azudu and Shane Lemieux. Linebacker Ellerson Smith and corner Adoree Jackson. Questionable. Daniel Bellinger with a rib injury this time, not to be confused with the eye injury he had before. D-lineman Leonard Williams and DB Nick McLeod. Commander's going to be without offensive lineman Sadiq Charles. Questionable, wideout Cam Sims. D-lineman Chase Young, who's kind of, they're waiting for him to make the impact back on the field here. It's been a long rehab process for him. Uh, As well as D-lineman Effie Obada and corner Benjamin Saint-Ju. I'm going to take the commanders to win this one. It would not shock me in the slightest if the Giants found a way. I, I, the Saquon Barkley train has been sort of derailed by the fact that teams are kind of just selling out to stop the run here, and the Giants' offensive line is a little beat up. It's It's been a rough one the last handful of weeks, to be completely honest. Would it shock me if Daniel Jones had that, you know, re-signed me 300-yard game? No. It's happened before, right? Where a quarterback will be up for a contract or something like that. You know, the comp I made this year previously was, will Lamar Jackson do the Aaron Judge? Well, we're past the point of doing the Aaron Judge. Will Daniel Jones force the Giants front office's hand and make this a playoff push for them? Well, the push part is real. They haven't won a game in weeks. I think the Commanders win this one at home. After tying with them just weeks ago in a game that both teams did, Clearly did not want to win. Um, Monday Night Football, in games that sounded better a few months ago, the LA Rams head to Lambeau to take on the Green Bay Packers. I don't know why. I don't think we'll be seeing Jordan Love in this game, but we really should be. Um, All right. I guess give me the Packers to win this game because the Rams are very beat up. But, you know, if Baker Mayfield could do it on two days' notice, maybe he could do it on a week and two days' notice. Or rather, what, 13 days, 11 days, whatever it is. Give me the Packers to win this one at home. Next, our Week 16 Thursday night football game. Man, they left a banger for us at the end of the year, didn't they, folks? There's only two left. Well, you know, I mean, the last one's Cowboys-Titans. That's pretty good. This one's got to be a banger, right? What did they save for us here? We got the Chiefs against somebody? Oh, no, we got the Bengals, right? No, we have the Jacksonville Jaguars heading to New Jersey to take on the Jets. Oh, boy. Um, sure, I'm not confident that we're going to see Mike White in this game. The Jaguars should not win this game. But, based on the fact that I'm not really confident the boys in green really want to be out there with Zach Wilson... I think I might just give this one, because it'll be funny, to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Let's say the Giants and Jets collapse at the same time. It wouldn't be the first time New York teams found a way to pull that one off. Give me the Jags on the road. I'm not going to go through all the Saturday games. Obviously, this past weekend, there was only three games. We're like, oh, maybe we won't get there. Almost all the games are on Saturday, this upcoming week. We will get a show in Friday night. So don't worry about it. We're not going to pick those. That'll bring us to the end of the Pick'em portion of this week's episode. And that will bring us to the end of this week's episode. Episode number 154 of the Necessary Roughness podcast presented by Last Word on Sports. Thank you all for joining us. As usual, you know the deal. If it's your first episode, 154th episode. Appreciate you being here with us and come back next week for next week's episode. We're getting into the playoff push. We're going to start picking. We're going to have our end-of-year wrap-up with the awards during the postseason. It's going to be a fun one. Season 6 coming down to a solid playoff push. Obviously, it's not the new format, but it's new to us, right? Seven teams, less buys, more action in the wild card. Stick around. It's going to be a fun one. And just as I've been with you today, I'll be with you throughout the whole thing. I'm your host, Nicholas Donotic, signing off.